Uh, so we're in John chapter number 1 this morning. John chapter number 1. We're going to begin reading in verse number 29. We'll read verse 29 down to verse number 34. And I know that pastor normally does the responsive reading, but uh, I didn't necessarily plan that. So uh, we're just going to have me read it while, while you all follow along. Not that, not that I'm against responsive reading. I just uh, didn't plan for it. But um, John chapter number 1, and uh, as we usually do, if you are able, we ask that you stand out of respect for the reading of the Word of God this morning. John chapter number 1, we're going to begin in verse number 29. And I'll read them out loud and you follow along in your Bible. John chapter 1, verse number 29. The Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. The title of the message this morning is Something Greater Than Going to Heaven. Something Greater Than Going to Heaven. And you think, Pastor Morales, what could possibly be greater than going to heaven? Well, I'm glad you asked. You ask intelligent questions. Uh, what's greater than going to heaven is taking someone else with us. Amen? And so, uh, Pastor and I were talking about this this past week, and I shared with him the title of the message, and he said, hey, you know there's a song uh, with that same title and that same message. I said, I had no idea there was a song. And sure enough, I looked it up, and uh, there is a song with this same title, this exact same message, Something Greater Than Going to Heaven is Taking Somebody With You. And so I thought, man, we should sing that song. I did download the sheet music, uh, but I thought, you know what? Uh, I don't want to uh, put that on pastor. And I said, we'll sing it, but we'll sing it another week. And so hopefully in the next uh, week or two, we'll be singing that song. But uh, what is greater than going to heaven is knowing for sure that we can take others with us. And praise the Lord that we have that wonderful opportunity uh, to share the truth of God's word so people can know for sure they'll go to heaven. Let's see what the Lord has to say to us this morning uh, regarding this topic. Let's bow together for a word of prayer and we'll get into the message. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, uh, we know and, and acknowledge that you are big enough. Uh, you are uh, all that we need for every situation, every uh, problem, uh, Lord, every trial, Lord, in our lives. You're exactly the answer to each and every one of them. And, Father, we pray that you would help us to place our faith and trust in you, not just for our salvation, but, Lord, for our daily lives as well. Father, we pray that you would bless your people here this morning. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us all to have an open mind and an open heart to what uh, the Spirit would say to the church today. Help us, Lord, to be willing to make adjustments and, and decisions and commitments to honor you. And, Lord, we pray that you would please... Uh, be magnified, be glorified here in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. <clears throat> so the uh, the Gospel Coalition uh, has put together some stats, and I'm not exactly sure what year these stats were, were published, but I'm sure that they're obviously very similar to uh, today. Uh, the Gospel Coalition says that 55.3 million people die each year. 55.3 million people die each year. 
Uh, the Gospel Coalition goes uh, ahead and says also uh, 151,600 people die every day. 151,600 people die every day. 55.3 million people die every year. Uh, the Gospel Coalition also says that 6,316 people die every hour. Every hour. Uh, they also stated that 105 people die every minute. Every minute. So you have 55.3 million people dying every year. 151,600 people dying every day, 6,316 people dying every hour, and 105 people dying every single minute. Uh, they state, the Gospel Coalition also states, that there are 2.7 billion people in the world that have never heard the Gospel. Now, we know that uh, stats say that there's around 7.2 billion people on planet Earth, somewhere around that figure. And out of those 7.2 billion people, 2.7 billion of them have never heard the gospel. Now, based on these stats, the Gospel Coalition, based on these stats, 55.3 million dying each year, 151,600 dying every day, 6,316 dying every hour, and 105 people dying every minute. Now, that's just people in general. Uh, out of all of those stats, they determined that 55 people, out of those 105 that die every minute, 55 of them are unsaved. So that means that there's 55 people dying every minute and they're going to spend eternity without Christ. 55 people every single minute. Uh, based on those stats, based on those numbers, that means that in one hour, uh, in just the uh, small amount of time that we would spend here in the church service, uh, probably a little bit longer than an hour, but nonetheless, around that time, 3,000 300 people will die and go to a Christless eternity. Out of the 6,316 people that die every hour, more than half of them, more than half of them die as unsaved, Christ-rejecting sinners. Now, in some cases, they're not rejecting Christ because they never had the opportunity to receive him. Uh, William Booth, who is the founder of the Salvation Army, he said this, and I quote, he said, Most Christians would like to send their recruits or, or their converts to Bible college for, for five years. And he said, I would like to send them to, to hell for five minutes. If I could send them to hell for five minutes, listen, that would do more than anything else to prepare them for a lifetime of compassionate ministry for the Lord. End quote. He says, man, it's, it's important. Bible college is good. There's nothing wrong with Bible college. But he says, if I could send each Christian, each saved person to the, that place called hell, that place of torment, for just a few minutes, that would do far more to empower them, to encourage them, to ignite them to serve God than going to Bible college. The question on the floor this morning, White Oak Baptist Church, is this. How do you view the unsaved. Uh, is, is the unsaved to you, or, or are they uh, uh, just uh, in your way, an inconvenience, something that, well, you know, uh, they're, they're just out there, they're different, they're, they're, they're messing up my, my lifestyle, and I'm trying to live for the Lord, and, and they're a discouragement in that, or, or, or do you, are they just in your way, or do you go out of your way to try to reach them? 
Uh, is the unsaved person just an inconvenience in your schedule, an inconvenience in your life? Or is that unsaved person, uh, do you see them, do you view them the way the Lord views them, as a never-dying eternal soul that will spend eternity somewhere? Oh, their physical body will die, but their soul will continue to exist, will continue to live either in heaven with God or in what the, the Bible calls the lake of fire. You see, I heard this quote somewhere or read it somewhere and I liked it and I wrote it down. I said, it says this and I quote, if every sinner is a mission field, then every Christian is a missionary. If every sinner is a mission field, then every Christian is a missionary. A former football, uh, football, NFL football coach, Tony Dungy, who is a professed Christian, a believer in the Lord, he said this, this was just last week, uh, and it was, um, I was on my way home from church, and, and I, I scroll through, uh, for, through Twitter, that's the only, uh, social media that I have, uh, and so I scroll through there every once in a while just to get, you know, see what, what's going on in the world, and, uh, he tweeted this last Sunday, August 9th, 2020, and I quote, he said this, former NFL football coach, In his message this morning, pastor, referring to his pastor, asked a great question. If salvation and eternal life is so important to us, why don't we share the way to heaven with more people? He goes on to say in his tweet, do we not care about our friends or do we really not believe our message? He ended his tweet by saying, if we care and if we believe, we need to share. End quote. We need to share. So either we don't believe the message or we don't care. We need to make sure that we share. And so this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 1, uh, the later portion of the chapter, and to see that we uh, have to understand that the Great Commission uh, is the greatest, the greatest command that we can obey. And so we, we have three points. If you're taking notes, write this down, point number one. Uh, Point number one, we see the commitment to the Lord, the commitment to the Lord. Uh, What is greater than going to heaven? Man, taking as many people there with you as you possibly can. Uh, Look at John chapter one and look at verse number thirty five. John chapter one and verse number thirty five. The Bible says there and again, uh, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, in verse number 29, he said, uh, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And again, he's saying, look at, focus on, pay attention to, behold the Lamb of God. Look at verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak, and here's what it says in the next three words, they followed Jesus. Notice here, they were disciples of John the Baptist. He says, don't look to me, look to the Lord. Look to the the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Look to him. And so they said, okay, we're going to stop following you, John, and we're going to follow the Lord. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Uh, They're following and he turns around and says, hey, what do you want? What are you looking for? And they, they said, hey, well, where do you live? Where do you dwell? Where do you focus and spend most of your time? And uh, verse 39, he saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt. And the next three words say, abode with him. Uh, we see that they decided to spend time with him. They decided to stay with him. Uh, they initially decided to follow him. Uh, stop following John and start following the Lord Jesus. And so it says here, they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with 
him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, the first thing that we must understand, if we're going to grab a hold of the Great Commission, the first thing that we must have is a commitment to the Lord of the Commission. We must have a commitment. We must spend time with the Lord. We must be devoted and dedicated uh, to communing with Him. You see, uh, we have to be saved, number one, and we have to be set apart. We have to be sanctified, number two. Uh, I like this quote. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't lead where you won't go. And so if we're going to lead people to Christ... And listen, by the way, if we're going to witness, if we're going to obey the Great Commission, we're going to have to be leaders. You say, well, I'm not naturally a leader. Well, I don't think any of us are naturally leaders. I I know there's some people that they have a a strong leaning towards, you know, being in charge. But listen, I wasn't a natural leader. I I didn't want people to, you know, to follow me and listen to me. But after time, I had to understand if I'm going to lead someone to Christ, I have to take charge. I have to say, no, I'm going to take charge of my schedule. I'm going to take charge of my time. I'm going to take charge of of, of the the, the Bible, and I'm going to learn it, and I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to do all that I can to be able to lead someone to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to lead, but we have to know him. We have to commune with him. We have to fellowship with him before we can lead someone to Christ. The process of knowing and fellowshipping with the Lord is a prerequisite to becoming a witness for the Lord. All right, we're going to turn to a couple different chapters, a couple different passages this morning. The first one we'll turn to is Mark chapter 3. Turn with me there, if you will. Mark chapter number 3. Uh, we'll, we'll work our way back to John 1. Uh, but look at Mark chapter 3 and look at verse number 13. Mark chapter 3, verse number 13. We must be communing and fellowshipping and committed to the Lord before, before we witness for the Lord. Look at verse 13 of Mark chapter 3. The Bible says there, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him and look at verse 14. And he ordained 12. He called 12. Uh, He chose 12. This is the apostles. This is uh, the the inner circle type. uh, I know the inner circle is Matthew, uh, uh, the the three that he had, Peter, James and John. uh, But these 12 were the the apostles, the ones that spend the most time with him. And he called them. Look at what it says in verse 14. And he ordained twelve that they should go and start a church. Is that what your Bible says? That's not what it says. And he ordained twelve that they should go and become famous preachers. Is that what your Bible says? That's not what your... Everybody awake this morning? That's not what the Bible says. And he ordained twelve that they should have a large following. That they should have many people uh, that that are uh, friends with them on social media. Uh, He ordained 12 that they should become a famous preacher. No, that's not what he... Look at what it says. And he ordained 12 that they should what? Be with him. Be with him. Spend time with him. Commune with him. Fellowship with him. Learn from him. Rub elbows with him and allow him to influence them. He ordained these 12. He says, he said, listen, I'm going to spend uh, some time with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to commune with you. I want you to learn. I want to teach you. But first we must spend time together. Uh, Christian, if you're going to be a good witness for the Lord, you must spend time with the Lord. 
the, the person that says, I'm going to be a witness, I, I want to be, fulfill the Great Commission, that person is going to read the Word of God. That person is going to memorize the Word of God. That person is going to have a time of prayer. That person is going to walk with the Lord. That person is going to attend church regularly and faithfully. That person is going to walk with God. That person that wants to be a good witness, we must be with him first. Look at it, look at verse 14. Uh, number one, he, he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and then, after they're with him, after they rub elbows with him, after they spend time with him, then that he might send them forth to preach. That he might send them forth to preach. But listen, the preaching comes after the communing. The witnessing comes after the fellowship. Uh, the going out and, 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 and being a, a testimony comes after we have spent time with the Lord. I venture to say that in the 21st century, that not all Christians love the Lord. I venture to say that too many Christians in our society, they only like the Lord. They like, they like the benefits they receive from being part of a good, godly uh, uh, New Testament church. They like the benefits they receive uh, from having their children in, in the Sunday school department. They like the benefits they receive from being uh, around Christian people. They like the benefits, but, the, but they're not wholeheartedly, completely surrendered to the Lord. They only like the Lord. They don't love the Lord. And listen, the Lord was very clear. He said to us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. With every fiber of our being, we are to love Him first and foremost. Hey, Christian, you're to love the Lord more than you love your family. You're to love the Lord more than you love your spouse. You're to love the Lord more than you love your children or grandchildren. You are to love the Lord above anyone or anything on planet Earth. That's what the Bible teaches us. So the question is, is your Christianity, is it a hobby or is it a lifestyle? Is it something you do on the side, something you kind of throw in on Sunday mornings, something that, well, if I have time, I'll go. If I have time, I'll participate. If it fits in my schedule, if it's not too inconvenient. Listen, that's just a hobby. That's not a lifestyle. You see, God wants your Christianity and my Christianity to be a lifestyle, a way of life. Uh, we, we don't just, uh, this thing about Christianity, we don't just play church. We don't just come to church. Uh, we don't just play Christianity. Lord, this is our life. This is who we are. This is what we eat, sleep, drink, and breathe the Lord Jesus Christ. Or at least it should be. It should be. He should be the hub of our life and everything else should revolve around Him. His Word and His institution. C.T. Studd said this about our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Great Commission. He said, and I quote, if Jesus Christ be God... And he is. Amen. Amen. Everybody awake this morning? Y- y'all okay? Everybody all right? Okay, because it's going to get rougher. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm just warning you. Anyway, uh, if, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If he's God, which he is, if he died for me, which he did, then listen, there's nothing that I should be willing to, to, to sacrifice that's too great. There's nothing. Nothing's too great. Too many Christians, uh, stay with me now, too many Christians, we sing the hymns, we sing the songs of faith, but we don't actually live them. 
We get up in church and we'll sing a, a song like, uh, we'll sing, I surrender all, I surrender. We really should be singing, I surrender some, I surrender half. Y'all with me? Because we don't surrender all. We should, but we don't surrender all. We'll sing songs like, songs like, uh, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, and we'll pray for two minutes. We'll pray before our meals, and that's about it. We never spend time in our prayer closet. In many cases, we don't even have a prayer closet. Y'all with me this morning? Let's not just sing the songs, let's live the songs. We'll sing songs like, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. As we sit on our couch, as we don't show up for soul winning, as we don't lift a finger to help out around the church, as we don't carry our Bible tracts with us so we can... Listen, onward to what? We're not going onward to anything. We're retreating. Y'all with me this morning? We need to not just sing the songs... We need to live the songs. We'll sing the song like, I love to tell the story of unseen things above. And I will tell no one of Jesus and His love. Are are y'all with me this morning? We love to tell the story. We sing it. But are we telling people? Are we spreading the gospel? You know what we like to spread? We don't like to spread the gospel. We like to spread the gossip. We get on Facebook and we get on Instagram and we get on all those things, right? And Twitter even. And we'll say, can you believe? Did you hear? And man, we'll spread that real quick. And God says, have you told someone about my son today? We love to tell the story. Do we really? Do we really love to tell the story? Oh, we like to tell stories, all right, but just not the gospel story. We'll sing songs like... Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's prayer. But are we really singing? Are we really genuinely? Listen, are we using the one tongue that God has given us to tell the story of his love for mankind? If we're not doing that, why would he give us 999 or more tongues of other people to sing his praises when we're not using the one tongue we have to tell others? Are y'all with me this morning? Everybody awake? Let's not just sing the songs. Let's actually live the songs. Here's another one. We'll sing, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. I'll come to church on Sunday, and I won't come back till next week. I mean, we should change the lyrics, really. Because we won't come to Sunday night. We, we won't come Wednesday night. Uh, we won't show up to the prayer time on Monday morning. Do we really need him every hour? Do we believe that? I mean, we really do need him every hour, but we don't live like it. We don't live like it. Lord, I need you on Sunday morning. The rest of the week, I got that covered. I'll take care of the rest. Lord, I need you Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. All the other hours, I got it. I'll take care of it. Let's not just sing the songs. Let's live those songs. We see the commitment to the Lord, number two. Number two, we see the communication about the Lord. The communication. About the Lord. Turn back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Uh, let's not just say, well, I believe in the Great Commission. And, and yeah, I, I, I think it's good and I think it's right. Listen, it's, there's more to it than just uh, lip service. Let's actually do something about it. Uh, look at John chapter 1 and verse number 40. 
John chapter 1 and verse number 40. The Bible says there, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, we know who this is talking about, okay? Uh, uh, the apostle Peter's brother, Andrew, Andrew. Look at verse 41. The first word says he. What's the next word in verse 41? Okay, let's try that again. The first word in verse 41 is he. The second word in verse 41, let me hear you, church. First. Notice what Andrew did first. It says, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. He said, man, we found the Savior. We found the Messiah. Look at it, verse 42. And he said, man, you got to come see him. He brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. But notice, notice what Andrew did. He says, I found the Lord. And immediately, the first thing he did, he said, man, i got to tell my brother. That guy's a heathen. He needs the Lord. He's unsaved. The first, not the second thing, not the third thing, not the fourth thing, not the tenth thing. The first thing he did. You remember when you first trusted Christ as your Savior? You remember how zealous you were and you wanted to tell everyone. I remember when I got saved, November 28th, 1993. I was 18 years old. November 27th, uh, my stepdad had shared the, praise the Lord, he's with the Lord now, thank God for him. He had shared the gospel with Trina and I, and on November 27th, she accepted. November 28th, I was a little bit more uh, stubborn. So November 28th, 403 North Curly Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21224, second floor apartment in the kitchen. Man, I sure wish I could remember some details about my salvation. Uh, needless to say, <laughs> needless to say, I wish I could remember the time, the exact hour and minute I wish I could remember the exact prayer that I prayed, but I remember. I remember that day, November 28th, changed my life completely. And you know what I did? I got to find somebody to tell them this. And I got to tell my sisters. I got to tell my friends. I got to find someone. I got to tell them. Why? Because I had received the greatest gift any human being could ever receive. And I wanted them to have it too. You remember that time? You remember when you trusted Christ and you were zealous and you were excited and you couldn't wait to hand out a tract. You couldn't wait to invite someone to church. You couldn't wait to learn how to witness so you can share the gospel. Listen, that, that zeal begins to wane after a while, doesn't it? That zeal, that excitement, that fervor, man, it begins to, the embers begin to, you know, get cold and, and, and you know, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And maybe I'll think, if I think of it, listen, we need to stir that thing back up. Uh, we need to get excited again. Uh, we need to, to, to get so pumped up about telling others about the Lord because it's just as important. It's just as, as, as needed even now as it was back then. The first thing that Andrew did was go find his brother, Peter, and he wanted to make sure that his brother knew the Lord. Look at the next example. Look at verse 43, John chapter 1, verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip. Philip, and saith unto him, follow me. Again, that's the first step. Closeness, communion, fellowship. Follow me. Spend time with me. That's the first step. Look at verse 44. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Look at verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael. You notice what he's doing here? He walked with the Lord. He spent time with the Lord. He, he followed the Lord. He communed with the Lord. And then immediately he said, I got to tell someone. I got to find someone, anyone. 
that needs to know the Lord. Look at verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, let me show you, buddy. Come and see. Man, come on. Let me show you. Let me just introduce you to him. Let me just show you him. Let me let you meet him and let you talk to him. Man, come on. Hey, Christian, where's your Nathaniel? Hey, Christian, where's your brother Peter, so to speak? Hey, hey, Christian, where's your coworker? Where's your neighbor? Where's your uh, family member? Where's your person? Where's your stranger? Where's your grocery clerk? Where's your, your gas station? Where's your person that you're talking to? Whom? Who is it? Is there anybody? You got anybody in your mind that you're telling the Lord Jesus to, to tell them about the Lord Jesus? Is there anyone? There should be. There ought to be. We got to make sure we have that same zeal as we did when we were first saved. Andrew told Peter, Philip told Nathaniel, who are we telling? Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, the Lord Jesus, and he saith unto them, follow me, commune with me, follow me, spend time with me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can I say to us this morning, Christians, if we ain't fishing, we ain't following. If we ain't fishing, we ain't following. And listen, fishing, of, of course, can be, uh, can be fleshed out in many different ways. And you're going to see uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to talk about later uh, in the service, and then, of course, tonight, uh, there's many different avenues for us to go fishing, for us to invite, for us to draw men, for us to compel men to come in, as Pastor Priest last week. It's our responsibility. Uh, he didn't leave us here on earth uh, just to sit, as most pastors say, to sit on our blessed assurance. I like to say, sit on our rusty dusty. Amen? Don't sit down and do nothing. Don't sit and soak. We need to get up and go. We need to go out and share. We need to say, come and see. Man, let me show you. Like that woman at the well. He said, come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. She's exaggerating like a typical woman. Anyway, um, it's a joke. It's a joke. I'm just teasing. My wife never exaggerates. Lord, forgive me for lying in church. No, I'm just... She said, come and see. She, she said, man, this, this person, this man, this Messiah, man, he's different than all the other prophets. He's different than every, everyone else that's ever preached to me, anyone else that's ever witnessed to me. This man is God in the flesh. Why are we not going and telling? Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we'll see that if we're not fishing, we're not truly following. If we're not fishing, we're not truly following. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28, look at verse number 1. Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1. Verse 1 of Matthew 28, the Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for, ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. I love this. This is all talking about, obviously, the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, we use these passages during Easter time, which is awesome, fantastic. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. 
Notice what he said. Hey, come and see. Come and see where he, he used to be. It's empty. He's not there. He's risen again. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. Come and see. Look at it. Verse 6. He is not here for he is risen. As he said, come and see. Uh, come see where the, uh, the place where the Lord lay. Now look at verse 7. Verse 6, they said, come and see. Verse 7, he says, and go quickly and... What's the next word? Huh. You see the connection here? Once you come and see... You must go and tell. You cannot separate come and see from go and tell. You cannot say, well, I'm going to come and see, but I'm not going to go and tell. Listen, if you aren't fishing, you aren't following. If you're not witnessing, you're not obedient to the Lord. If you're not some way, somehow sharing the gospel with someone, some kind of way, whether it's handing a tract, inviting the church, something then we can't say we're a disciple of the Lord, truly. Oh, we're saved. If you're saved, that's not going to stop you from being saved and going to heaven. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is you're not a true disciple, a true student of the Lord Jesus, if you're not fishing. Come and see must be attached to go and tell. Go and tell. Uh, There's a tradition that has been dropped in 1983. A 50-year-old tradition was quietly dropped by the U.S. House of Representatives. The tradition involved the annual reading of George Washington's farewell address on the occasion of his birthday. Democratic and Republican leaders decided that it was useless to continue to read the lengthy address uh, to a mostly empty chamber. One GOP aide said this, it's too bad, but it's time for this to be consigned to the dustbin. Uh, the Calgary Herald, a, a, a newspaper, wrote, uh, in past years, I quote, in past years it was almost wholly writ that the address must be read. Through war and storm for half a century, 50 years, a member of each chamber has been chosen to read the address. The uh, paper continued to say, nobody listens to Washington's farewell address. I'm afraid that something very similar has happened, has taken place in the Christian church. Fewer and fewer and fewer believers are actually listening to and obeying The Lord Jesus' last message. You know what his last message was? Look at verse 28 of Matthew chapter, uh, verse 19 rather, of Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19. This is the Lord Jesus Christ's last command to his followers, to his disciples. Look at it, verse 19. Go ye therefore. That's part number one of the Great Commission. Go. Listen, it's our job to go. It's not, it's not our job to put out a sign and clean up the church and put together a nice program and say, y'all come. That's not how it works. It's not our job to, you know, uh, make everything spit shine and, and put some nice uh, uh, paint on the walls and some nice signage and, and make sure the property looks good and, and do our best. And listen, I'm, not, I'm for all of that. I'm for all of that. But it's not just for us to do all of that and say, hey, y'all come. Come on in. No, no, no. Last week, pastor preached very eloquently where the, the, the Lord told his servants, go out. Go out and get them. Go out and compel them. Go, go, go. We must go. That's part number one. Look at it. Verse 19. Verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's part number two. We're going to teach them what? Teach them the gospel. Teach them the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, so they can be saved. That's part number two. 
Part number three, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's part number three of the Great Commission. And then verse number 20, part number four, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. These ladies that sit up here on the platform, uh, that's part four. That's discipleship. That's uh, committing the things that we have heard unto faithful men and women also who will be able to teach others discipleship. So we go out. We get them, we teach them, we witness to them. They get saved, Lord willing. Not all will, but some will. They get saved. Then they get baptized in the baptistry. Amen. We're Baptists. We like to baptize folks because that's what the Bible teaches. Y'all with me? We baptize them. And then after we baptize them, we put them in the discipleship course so they can learn, so they can grow, so they can mature, so then they can go out and teach and baptize and teach. It's very simple, but it's so hard to do. It's so hard to get folks to participate. We're going to make all kinds of avenues for, to help you, White Oak Baptist Church, participate in the Great Commission. The Lord's last command should be our first concern. We see the commitment to the Lord, walk with Him, fellowship with Him, commune with Him. We see, number two, the communication. After we fellowship with Him, then we can preach, tell others about Him. And then lastly, point number three, we see the cost. The cost of witnessing for the Lord. Uh, there's a cost. Turn back to John chapter number one. John chapter number 1, this will be the last time that we turn. John chapter number 1, and look at verse 39 again, or 35 rather, verse 35. John chapter number 1, everybody with me so far? We still awake? Okay. I said to the 830 crowd, I said, I'm sorry if I've stepped on your toes. I'm sorry if, if I've offended you. That's not my goal. That's not my desire. But this is a biblical truth that needs to be preached, that needs to be taught. Uh, and so if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, then uh, by all means, that's, that's what we want. John chapter 1, look at verse 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They, say, they said unto him, Rabbi, which is, being, which is to say being interpreted master. Where dwellest thou? Again, we, we talked about this earlier. Where, you, where do you live? Where do you spend your time? Where, where's your focus? Verse 39. He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. They came and saw where he dwelt. You know, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 58, and Matthew 8, and verse 20, that uh, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ did not have a permanent home while he was here on earth. He didn't buy a house. He didn't even rent a house. He just lived trusting the Father to provide for his every need every day. And sometimes he stayed with, with certain disciples. Sometimes he stayed other places. And I'm sure at some times he may not have even had anywhere to stay. He was basically homeless. And they said, count me in. I'm going to stay with you. You know, if pastor was homeless or if I was homeless, you know how many people would want to follow us? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> They'd say, what do I want to follow this guy for? He ain't even had a house. He even got, he, he's got nothing. I don't want what he's got. The Lord Jesus Christ had basically zero earthly possessions. And these two disciples says, we're going to follow you. You know why? Because they understood that following the Lord, doing the work of the Lord, requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Sacrifice is a dirty word in, in the 21st century in America. What do you mean sacrifice? 
I, I need to have, you know, a, a single family home with, you know, four bedrooms and, and two and a half baths and, and two cars. And I need to make at least 60000 a year. And, and I need to have AC. And, and, and that's how we think in America. The Lord Jesus Christ said, are you willing to sacrifice? I like what Curtis Hudson said. Curtis Hudson said, uh, he's, he's in heaven now. He said this. He says, great churches are not built on spare time and pocket change. Spare time, if I can fit it in, I'll do it, Pastor. If I have time, I'll show up. Spare time and pocket change. Well, you know, we like to tip, you know, 20% to the server at the restaurant, but we'll give God five bucks. Y'all with me this morning? You know, well, we, we like to make sure that we take care of other people. But when, when it's time to receive the offering in the church service, hey, you know, we'll, we'll stick a dollar in there. You cannot reach the world with taking our spare time and our pocket change. It ain't going to work. We've got to be willing to sacrifice. We've got to be willing to invest. We've got to be willing to say, Lord, this is inconvenient for me. I'm going to fit this in my schedule and it's going to make things hard. It's going to make things difficult, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Y'all with me? It's worth it. When, when you have someone turn to you and say, uh, 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 Pedro, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you took the time to share the gospel. Man, nothing. There's no high on earth greater than that. Seeing someone trust Christ and receive the, the gift of eternal life. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than to have a, a guy by the name of Frank Suglio, uh, who we met down in, in, in Orlando, and, and, and I was able to, to, I didn't know he needed disciples. He just got saved in April. We met in November, and he come and he, he would come into my office, and he would sit there with me, and as I was doing correspondence courses, and he would ask a million questions. And I'd be like, look, dude, I, I wanted to say, look, dude, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I, I'm going to go make visits. Uh, you know, I, I don't have time for this, but I didn't say that. I said, what's your question, man? I answered the best I could. And he would sit there week after week after week after week. I had no idea what was happening. And that, that man, after we left to take the church in New York, about a year later, he goes back to Cleveland Baptist Church. He goes to their Bible Institute. He graduated just this past May. He's an assistant pastor down in Virginia. I said, "Woo, Hey, man, that's what it's about right there. Did I know that was going to happen? Absolutely not. I had no idea. I had no clue that God was going to use him, but I took the time. And I'm not patting myself on the back here. I'm just giving you an example. Investing in the lives of people, it's worth it. Even if they don't become a full-time Christian worker. If they get saved, they're going to heaven, and somehow they're able to influence someone else. It's worth it. It's worth the investment. It's worth the sacrifice. Too many Christians are concerned, more concerned with comfort than they are with winning the lost. I read this quote. I couldn't believe this. The average unsaved, unregenerate, uh, non-Christian person, the average unsaved person gives 4.5% to their charity of their choice. Charitable contributions. 4.5% on average. You know what the average is for Christians, for saved people? 2.5%. 2.5%. Because it's too inconvenient. I got too many things to do. I got too many bills. I got this. I got that. I got kids to raise. And listen, I know all that. We get all that. But the first thing we need to be concerned about is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And if we're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care how successful we are in this world. I don't care how much money we make. I don't care how many possessions we have. Listen, at the end of our life, none of those things will matter. What will matter is, how many people did you point to Christ? How many people did you say, hey, come and see. Man, I found the Lord. I found the Messiah. Listen, I can't shout it any louder. I can't make any, I can't turn my face any redder. I'm just saying, please, please help us reach this area for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us. Uh, it's not just the pastor. It's not just the staff. It's not just the deacons. Man, it's every single one of us doing our part. I end with this illustration. In 1957, at the Urbana Missions Conference, Dr. Billy Graham preached on the nature of true commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. During his sermon, he pulled out a copy of a letter that had been given to him. This is an excerpt from that sermon. Billy Graham stood there and he said, In my hand I have a letter written by a communist, pay attention now, a communist student at an eastern university. He had gone to Mexico where he became a communist. He wrote to his fiancée, Breaking off their engagement. And this was given to me, uh, Billy Graham said, this was given to me by the minister of the Presbyterian Church in Montreat, North Carolina, where I live. Here's what the letter says. This young man was in the university. He had gone to Mexico, apparently got mixed up with some communist people, and he, he turned his life over to communism, and he wrote back to his fiancée, says, we gotta, we got to break it off. This is what he said. He said, we communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung and lynched and tarred and feathered and jailed and slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists, we don't have the time or the money uh, for movies and concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes and new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in his small way is contributing to something uh, new and true and better for mankind. He goes on to say in his letter, there's one thing in which I am dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life. It is my business. It is my religion. It is my hobby. It is my sweetheart. It is my wife. It is my mistress. It is my bread and my meat. I work at it in the daytime, and I dream of it at nighttime. Its hold on me grows. It not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot, I cannot carry on a friendship a love affair, or even a conversation without relating to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people. I evaluate books. I evaluate ideas and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. 
I've already been in jail because of my ideas, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. And of course, he broke off the engagement to his fiancée. Here's a guy, here's a guy who's espousing an ideology that's wrong, that's wicked, uh, that's harmful to humanity. Here's a guy that's espousing ideas that are not going to make uh, uh, the world better. They're actually going to make them worse. And he was willing to give every fiber of his being and his existence to that cause. And yet we have Christians who have the answer to all the world's problems, who have the solution for our, our relational struggle with God, who have every possible answer that we need for eternity. And we're like, another sermon. Another soul-winning opportunity. Another offering. Y'all with me this morning? I mean, let's, let's get serious here. Let's understand the magnitude of what we have, what we possess. Let's get real about the Great Commission. White Oak Baptist Church, I say to you this morning, is there something greater than going to heaven? And you say, yes, taking somebody with me. How about it this morning? This coming Saturday, August 22nd, we're going to begin a new chapter in the Great Commission Ministry of White Oak Baptist Church. We're going to begin an opportunity for everyone to be involved. Everyone. Everyone will have a part to play. We can't do it by ourselves. We need everyone jumping on board, getting involved. Let's take it seriously. Let's do better than this communist guy. Let's say, this is what I eat, sleep, drink, breathe. This is my life. Christianity, God, the church, it's not a part of my life. It is my life. May that be our heart's desire. Let's bow together for a prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, dear God, for today. We thank you, Lord, for this, this message that you gave to us today in John chapter 1. Lord, in the correlating passages that we looked at, Lord, we pray collectively. I, I pray, dear God, for the people here, for myself, that we would all be willing, willing, Lord, to submit, to yield to you and to do all that we can. Lord, we can't win everyone. We understand that, but we can win some. Lord, we can't fix everyone's problems. We understand that, but, Lord, we can fix some people's problems. Help us to do what we can and allow you, Lord, to do the things that we cannot do. Lord, we pray for each and every one of us that you would help us to submit, help us to adjust, help us to do whatever is necessary to make this the focal point of our lives.